week it is. That's right, Barry Rose, it's Tuesday. What? It used to be 9 o'clock, but now it's more like 11, 11.30. So that must mean that Breaking Cape Able Powder and Barry has dropped, and you are the beneficiary, my friend. Yes, you, the listener, are here for episode 275 of Breaking Cape Fabe. My voice raised just a little bit there, Barry. On this particular episode, our match of the week, the 2001 Match of the year, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, as we are talking Kiji Muto. No, not the great Muda. It's Kiji Muda. Uh, of course, Kiji Muto, who recently retired, Barry, uh, had a big ceremonial match uh, with uh, Shinsuke. Uh, oh, God. Uh, why can't I fucking think of his name? Uh, uh, oh, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Yeah, it's the guy. Uh, and so uh, with uh, Muto's retirement, I thought it'd be a good time to look back on this. The 2001 match of the week. So, our 2001 match of the year, excuse me. Uh, besides all that, we're going to have a little rapid fire segment. We're going to be doing our newest segment, Bullshit or Not Bullshit. Bullshit! Yes, yeah, thank you. Uh, we'll be doing a little a rapid fire, a somewhat controversial rapid fire. I'm going to guess, Barry, what do you think? Uh, yeah, controversial. And what we're going to ask on this episode, it's a very sensitive subject that this is something that you should listen to from start to finish before you pass any sort of judgment. Listen to everything that we're discussing with this. Yes. So uh, don't fly off the handle based on the first statement that is made regarding a particular story that we're going to talk about. Besides everything else, Barry, what the hell else we got? Oh, I don't know. Why don't we just go to it right now? Barry Rose, it's time for a little bullshit or not. Barry, it's time for our newest segment. It's oh. the segment that I call Bullshit. <laughs> I like okay. saying bullshit sometimes. I don't know. Just, so, you know what you Rose, remind me of when you say that too, Jeff? Do you ever what? see that great uh, movie by Tim Burton, Ed Wood? Uh, no, I thought you were going to say it reminds you of the movie uh, The Menu with uh, Ray Fiennes, which you were uh, just merely espousing on before we started recording. But uh no, I did not see Ed Wood. I heard very, very good, though. So, so that, I think, uh, George I, the Animal Steel is in that, is he not? Yes, he plays Tor Johnson. But I, I think going back maybe three or four years, we did a segment, and I want to say it was our favorite movies of different decades. And I think in the 90s, uh, I want to say I picked Ed Wood as to be it. But there is a scene, long story short, as I always do, there is a scene in there. Promises, where, promises. Exactly, where Bella Lugosi, somebody is, uh, I think, just ca- called him Karloff, which... Uh, Martin Landau, right? Yeah, he was... Fa- he, and I believe he won the Academy Award for it. He was out of yeah. this world with that role. But uh, he, he literally, he does Bella Lugosi as, as good as Bella Lugosi. But somebody's calling him, like, Mr. Karloff or something, and he's got this line, and he goes, Bullshit! Just like that, really loud. And Howard Stern took that drop, and every time somebody would say something, he would go, bullshit! And when you just said it, that's immediately what I thought of. Yeah, let me try it again. Bullshit! There you go. Or not. So the first one, Barry Rose, uh, you are prepared to play, are you not? Uh, Well, as prepared as I can be. Well, uh, all right. The first one, Barry, reads, uh, this is a reminder to the listener. This is from the ultimate bullshit quiz calendar that the lovely sainted Mrs. Bowdrin got me for Christmas, always trying to help us here on the Arcadian Vanguard podcast network. Uh, I don't know if Lube will uh, take that as, uh, you know, we don't have to do it at the end of the show now. But anyway, Barry Rose, from what country does Saudi Arabia import camels? Your choices are Australia, 
Argentina, or bullshit, Saudi Arabia exports camels. I'm sorry. That's your, uh, your importer, your exporter, much like Art Vandalay. Yeah, so it's Saudi Arabian Art Vandalay. Now, you said Australia. What was the second country? Uh, Australia, Argentina, or bullshit, Saudi Arabia exports camels. Ooh, I'm going to tell you, I'm easy. It, 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 this is an That's easy That's the one. reputation you have. Well, that is absolutely uh, several reputations. I want to say bullshit, but I am going to say no. I'm going to say they're coming from Argentina. Eh, the answer, Barry Rose, is Australia, which apparently, according to this uh, quiz here, has a huge feral camel population. Oh, yeah. Things you didn't know. Next, Barry. What famous European landmark was successfully sold not once, but twice by the same con artist. Uh, your choices are the Eiffel Tower, the Tower of London, or the Brandenburg Gate. Yeah, so you, you get all kind of geographical <laughs> knowledge here on the show. You know, hey, oh, yeah. McAdam doesn't offer you you people out there listening this kind of high-quality content. I don't know who this McAdam fellow is that you're bringing up constantly, but with yeah. that, I am going to say – now, you didn't say London Bridge because that would have been the easy one. What were my choices again? Uh, since you weren't listening, it's the Eiffel Tower, the Tower of London, or the Brandenburg Gate. Fucking Eiffel Tower. You are correct, sir. Woo! Victor Lustig, who was to be, who was to die imprisoned in Alcatraz, convinced investors it was being sold for scrap. Barry Rose taking home the win on bullshit or not bullshit on that answer. Next question, Barry. Oh, so I can't go out on a high note is what you're saying. I well, gotta, yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, get your head any fuller of yourself right. than you already are. Well, that makes uh, sense. Barry, find the truth and not the bullshit. Two choices. Number one, Arizona town besieged by scorpions. Suburban homeowners have been invaded by scorpions who are coming in droves seeking shelter from record breaking heat or wild turkeys are taking over a New Jersey neighborhood. Wild turkeys are attacking people, damaging properties and causing mayhem. In a New Jersey town, perhaps his Thanksgiving revenge. Barry Rose, which story is true? Which story is bullshit? Going to say the real story is the scorpions taking over the town in Arizona. Eh, wrong. The real story, uh, courtesy of the Huffington Post in an article published uh, the 12th of November 2019, is the wild turkeys taking over. You like a wild turkey, do you, Barry? Yeah, you know what my logic was here, Jeff. This is this will. Oh, show you didn't you answer me. that question, Mister Drunkard. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Do I like wild turkey? I think you do, right? There's well, no, I'm a more of a vodka guy, or okay. as they used to say on uh, Paul Castronova's show, a vodka. So anyway, uh, what, what are you going to say about turkeys now? It's going to say my logic. I was going. I was going. Well, it's November. It's cold out. The turkeys are are nice and somewhere snug in the warmth. They won't be roaming the streets of Jersey. Would they be at Brian Last House? Yeah, they may be. You know, they, they may try to, you know, to tap into some. Yeah, coming soon on a new podcast on the Arcadian Network, uh, Wild Turkeys, uh, you know, and and some sort of uh, wrestling content. There. High ratings, too. Yeah. Exactly. Ratings. Um, they'll get the Patreon numbers. Don't kid yourself. So next, uh, Barry, uh, regarding urban legends, truth or bullshit, which of the following New York's – oh, Barry, it's a New York City urban myth, so you'll like oh, this one. I got it. Sure. Which is the only one that is true? Ooh. Number one, there are more rats than people on the island of Manhattan. 
Number two, a penny dropped from the Empire State Building can kill a pedestrian walking below. Or three, there are alligators in the New York City sewers. So I'm going to tell you, I believe all three are true. However, the first one with the rats, more rats than more humans, New York City currently, Jeff, is undergoing some sort of rat explosion, and it's completely out of control. Now, you're not talking your uh, your arena rat here. You're, no, because uh, if we were, I think a lot of the brother shippers would be planning a trip. Uh, you know. Yeah, exactly. It is. I'm going to say there are more rats than humans currently in Manhattan. According to this uh, beloved calendar here, Barry Rose, although not abundant, alligators have, in fact, been seen in New York City sewers. I believe so. uh, Your answer is, in fact, wrong. Eh, I got a. I got a call on this one. I Well, then why don't you call up the people from the bullshit or not calendar and discuss this issue <laughs> there with them, mister? I think. I need a uh, phone number. Got, do you have a number handy? I do. Okay. It's a 1-800-GO-FUCK-YOURSELF. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, and okay, I like that. But how old is this? Is This is, uh, is information. You wouldn't know. I was going to say, is this information that was collected recently? It's I, information but, I got from a calendar my wife got me for Christmas. All right, all right. I'm digging all right. too deep into this. Yeah. Last one for today. Oh, another one. All right. Find the truth, not the bullshit. <laughs> so you got uh, two stories here, Barry. Which one's true? Which one's bullshit? Number one, you've waited. Now it's here. The smartphone-powered nose hair trimmer. Japanese company known for creating weird gadgets has, for some reason, created a nose hair trimmer you can plug into your smartphone. <laughs> I ask if you have problems with the uh, the nasal hair, Barry. Number two, finally, coffee with Wi-Fi. Nano sensors are part of a new culinary wonder. Cafe coffee cups that offer Wi-Fi to customers until the final sip is consumed. Barry Rose, which one's bullshit? Which one is true? Wow. Both interesting. I'm going to say the first one was bullshit, but the coffee cup Wi-Fi thing is a legit story. Well, according to uh, NPR, since you asked for sources, mister, according to NPR on June 15th, my mom's birthday, the original St. Edmund's Bowdrin, 2018 article, the true story is, in fact, the nose hair trimmer story. Wow. So Barry Rose won for, I don't know, five, something like five. that. Five, that and yeah. 20% right over here. Yeah, you're right on the Mendoza line there, mister. <laughs> there you go. I got that, too. There you go. Very been a hot minute since we offered this, but we are nothing if not. We're, we're givers, Jeff. We, 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 Peter Brady voice breaking going on there. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, we are givers. So it's time, Barry, for another segment of Florida Man oh. or not. Are you ready, Barry Rose? The first headline reads, man parks in the middle of highway, gets out, squats, poops in the road. Ahem. <clears throat> Sheriff's deputy answered a call about a 2015 Volkswagen Jetta that was blocking a lane of a highway. When the uh, deputy arrived in the scene not long after midnight, in the wee hours of November 24th, he met some witnesses who said the Jetta's driver had parked in the middle of the road and was, quote, squatting next to the vehicle on the passenger side with his pants down and defecating in the roadway. The deputy's write-up of the incident went on to mention that the man also threw toilet paper on the ground after he'd finished. Well, he was courteous enough. Courtesy enough to uh, wipe there, Barry. Uh, the uh, the deputy asked the man what was up. The man replied he had to use the bathroom. Barry Rose, Florida man or not? 
You got to go. You got to go. Nobody knows that better than I. Well, do. you know, if you know, if you're not going to use the highway, certainly a neighbor's front lawn is always appropriate in Barry's mind. You use what you got to use when you got to go. I am going to say this. Whether it was probably I'm going to say this did take place in the state of Florida, Georgia. Close. Yeah, yeah it's the next state over, but I'm not giving you right. credit for it. Darn. All right. Uh, next uh, story uh, coming up here, Barry Rose, uh, courtesy of our friends at the uh, New York Post, beacon of journalism here. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Driver forgets wife during peace stop, forces her to walk 12 and a half miles for help. <clears throat> for better or worse, he didn't mean to kick her to the curb. Driver was being ridiculed online after accidentally leaving his passenger behind during a peace stop on Christmas which forced her to walk 12 miles to seek help. The marriage testing mistake occurred on Sunday, to, uh, which forced his wife to spend the new year in her hometown. Uh, let's see. Uh, the gentleman was uh, going swimming. Oh, I'm sorry. All was going swimmingly until her husband said he urgently needed to urinate. Excellent use of the word urinate, Barry. Hey, I don't use the colloquialisms there. Yeah, no, nobody ever says leak, that. You know, uh, yeah. And parked her car by the side of the road. He reported uh, that her other half, uh, why he didn't stop at a gas station. Hold on. I got a uh, spam there. She asked him why he didn't stop at a gas station. Uh, and her hubby, however, uh, said he had to relieve himself and uh, apparently didn't notice that she had to go, too. When she returned from the bathroom, she saw her husband had driven off without her, leaving her alone on the side of the road in the dark. Barry, husband of the year candidate. What do you think? This guy's so full of shit, too. You know? <laughs> God Wait, bless you him, say but... he did this deliberately. So, and how long was he in the car before he realized his yeah. passenger, his wife, was not in the car with him? He's full <laughs> of shit. He was getting into some tunes. Maybe he was yeah. listening to Breaking Fabe and was so distracted. Well, there, I, that makes sense now that you say it. This, this, this took place in Florida. This is absolutely a Florida story. This not only did not take place in Florida, Barry. Yeah. This did not take place in the United States. <laughs> this took place in Thailand. But wow. Uh, this story actually kind of uh, got out there in the news, and I, I thought maybe that you had heard it, but no, apparently not. Never heard so, it. Yeah. yeah so uh, uh, now here is another story. I'm going to hope that you uh, actually did not uh, hear about because this is another one that uh, made the rounds of social media. The headline reads, quote, she is an Avenger. Internet hails Waffle House staffer as she catches a chair hurled by an angry customer. Uh, the situation got. Did you hear about this story, by the way? I I I saw the video. I just didn't pay attention where this took place. Okay, at, but I saw the article. It. The article goes on. The situation got rowdy at a Waffle House at uh, 4 a.m. And and by the way, it, where at 4 a.m. in a Waffle House is it not getting rowdy? But anyway, yeah. Uh, after a group of unruly customers got into a fight with the staff, the argument soon turned into an all-out brawl, with punches being thrown and items being snapped at one another. However, one of the staff members brought the fight to a standstill for a moment after she caught a flying chair with her bare hand flawlessly. The entire incident was caught on tape. And by the way, the tape is absolutely amazing because she completely snatches it out of the air. It was hilarious. Barry Rose, Florida woman or not? I'm going to say no, but I don't know. Austin, Texas, Barry. I thought it was Georgia for some reason, so I was wrong, completely wrong. But uh, did you happen to see that video, Jeff? 
I did. It was hilarious. You know, unbelievable. And she, yeah. She, yeah. she did look like a superhero the way she yeah, did. She did. So uh, anyway, so Barry, I'm going to uh, on this one because this is just a great headline. Uh, and I'm going to assume when I read the headline, you're going to know this is not a Florida story, but it's so good. I had to share it with the listeners. Uh, the headline, Barry, courtesy of our friends at People Magazine, uh, known for their journalistic content. <clears throat> Woman finds Tasmanian devil in home after mistaken wild animal for her golden retriever's dog toy. <laughs> I was going to go on a limb and guess that you were going to uh, think, oh, Tasmanian devil, uh, Florida? Right? <laughs> no. A wild Tasmanian devil wandered into a home in Hobart, Australia. Robert Goodian, let us know where Hobart is. On the island, oh, apparently it's on the island state of Tasmania. Never mind, Robert. And uh, caused a bit of chaos before safely departing. An Australian woman had an, uh, a wild encounter in her living room on Wednesday. According to The Guardian, Kirsten Lynch was relaxing inside her home located on the Australian island state of Tasmania on December 28th when she decided to grab her golden retriever's plush Tasmanian devil toy. The only issue was when Lynch went to touch the toy, it ran away. That's when you know you got a problem there, Barry. You know, yeah. I, I went to reach for it. The devil shot underneath the couch. I imagine calling your uh, your various local and sundry uh, uh, relocation wildlife people. Ah, I got a Tasmanian devil under the couch, Barry. Holy shit! Is that a great story or what? That that is, yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And uh, I always wanted a Tasmanian devil. They don't. Apparently, though, Jeff, I I I Google them. They don't look like the cartoon character in any no. shape or form, though. And they also don't look like the current uh, AEW announcer at all. I'm just right, right. Very good. Exactly. Thank you. you. like what I did there? Yeah. So uh, next story, Barry Rose, uh, courtesy of NBC. Burglar defies deputy during toilet standoff. <clears throat> it was a battle of the bowl as deputies did what they needed to do to pry a burglar off the toilet of a house that he forced himself into. Deputy arrived uh, on the scenes after reports of a suspicious person had having broken in. According to the homeowner, James, quote, Jimmy. I like how they just feel the need to put that. James, in quote, Jimmy, just so yeah. we know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hobbs meandered up to his uh, front door on December 27th and began. It's all during the holidays, by the way, Barry. Hey, did you notice there? there's a uh, an exceedingly uh, there's more. There's more uh, stories of, of Florida man type of stories during the holiday season. I don't know what that is. That's uh, alcohol. Exactly. That's a fair guess. So, so, uh, and began demanding money after being sent away. Hobbs was undeterred and instead of leaving the scene, looked for another point of entry. He hid behind the homeowner's vehicle until the coast was clear. Then Hobbs snuck his way toward the back of the home and imposed his way into the lanai. Excellent use of the word lanai, by the way, Barry. That's a good word. Yeah. Thank you. I don't think we ever used the word lanai on the show. I think that's it. Yeah. By shattering the pool door. Uh, Barry Rose, I'm just going to put this out there based on the, uh, the two, uh, words I've just used there. This does not take place in New Hampshire. Uh, so I'm just going to let you, uh, in on that, uh, so you can eliminate one of the states. Uh, as he approached the slider that gained entry to the house, Hobbs used so much force to pry it open that he crushed the locking device. Having realized the stranger had just barged into his domicile. That's a really good use of the word domicile. Another good uh, word, sure. The homeowner fled from his residence and contacted authorities. As the deputies arrived, they scoured the home for Hobbs. After they made their way into the master bedroom, they heard scuttling from the bathroom. I, I, you know, scuttling, Barry. What does uh, that mean? Uh, scurrying around. Uh, various, uh, oh, okay. Inside was Hobbs sitting on the toilet in the middle, quote, 
of his business. Barry, this is our second shit-related story. Of the well, day. thank God, sir. Yes. Uh, deputies ordered Hobbs to remove himself from the uh, porcelain seat, but Hobbs refused to comply. In their arrest report, sheriff's uh, deputies noticed that Hobbs, uh, here, here's the surprising part, Barry, appeared to be under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Oh. Still in the seated position, Hobbs remained defiant until one deputy removed his taser and activated the red light, indicating the next course of intervention. Realizing his cornered situation, Hobbs rose to his feet and, without further issue, was handcuffed and placed in the back of a cruiser. Let's just hope yeah, he was offered some uh, wiping material, Barry. Uh, you don't want uh, the messy backside going uh, into the cruiser. Barry Rose, Florida man or not. You got so much going on with that story right there, and all I can think about is the book of Hobbs. So go figure, <laughs> right? Tying it into wrestling, I'm going to say, just because I'm batting uh, a horrific uh, right now, I'm going to say, sure, it's Florida. Golden Gate, Florida, where's Collier that? County. Uh, where, where's Collier County? That's uh, your southwest uh, type of uh, gotcha. border there. Right. Uh, down where uh, your Ben and your Kelly and uh, various and sundry other people uh, oh, are, okay. I believe. Yeah, so uh, let's see here. We uh, got another one here, Barry. Uh-uh, your, uh, your headline reading. Suspects called 911 to ask deputies for help moving items from home. They were burglarizing. Two people were arrested after one of them made a 911 call to get help with moving their belongings from a home. They were burglarizing, according to police. Officers, uh, I'm sorry, officials said no one spoke on the other end of the call. At first, they thought no one was inside. They found an unlocked sliding door in the back and entered. There, they found a male and female suspect. Uh, let's see. Uh, it turned out the deputies were searching for him and after identifying from his security, oh, apparently, uh, the one of these suspects, uh, it was a burglary suspect at the old Dollar General. You know, you're going to burglarize a business. I'm going to just put this out there. Maybe go for a slightly more upscale place than the old Dollar General, Barry. What do you think? Yeah. I, do you ever, do you ever shop at Dollar General, by the way? Uh, I, I've been there before. I have to be honest, not recently. Gotcha. Okay. I actually, uh, in the last six to eight months, I've actually shopped there a few times. There's some great bargains if you, uh, if you really play your cards right. This is a hell of a story. Everything taking place right here. Sure, it's Florida. Barry Rose. Kissimmee, Florida. Boom! You got that. Woo! I believe that too. Kissimmee. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, anyway, uh, let's see. I think we're, uh, nope. We got uh, two more left. Okay. One of the two. Book of Hobbs, Jeff. Bring it open. (laughs) See what we got here. Courtesy of uh, NBC, the headline reads, Man claims genitals were grabbed at a massage spa. Oh. But not in the way you might suspect, Barry. Oh. I'm not going to mention the member of the brothership known to visit the the massage parlors uh, of various parts of the uh, well, we do know somebody, the, Jeff, the, that is accurate. The, the, the 50 <laughs> contiguous uh, states. Uh, anyway, a man got more than he bargained for after he went in for a massage before being inappropriately fondled. It was around 7.30 on a balmy, I like that they include the weather for it. It was a balmy evening on January 3rd. Balmy. When a man strolled into a massage parlor, he lingered in the lobby as he perused the menu. Again, creative writing here, Barry. Yeah. Uh, noting that a 30 minute massage only cost, only, only cost $70. 
Well, After a conversation, the man decided on the half-hour stress-relieving experience and happily turned over a crisp $100. After he, res- uh, he never received his change, instead, uh, he was escorted to the back room. That's uh, when she reportedly asked him to strip down. So far, things going well, Barry. According to police report, the man complied and became head-to-toe naked while peeling off his pants and additional accoutrements. This is a great, great article with the wordage here. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, the woman interjected and told him to lay face down on the table without a towel and completely in the buff. The man said he noticed that the woman did nothing but meander aimlessly around the room for nearly five minutes. I hate when, by God, if you're looking for some sort of uh, a massage therapy, you don't want them lingering and uh, roaming around the room for five minutes, Barry, when you put out a crisp $100 bill. <clears throat> anyway, uh, continuing. As he started to suspect that he might be getting scammed, uh, the woman poured some oil and began barely to apply pressure to his aching shoulders. Following 10 minutes of light kneading, I, this feel, feels like a penthouse forum letter. Uh, there was 10 minutes of light kneading. Uh, the, uh, the woman ordered the man to flip over to his back. Oh, here we go, Barry. Flip over on your back. Then, once again, without <laughs> the security of a hand towel or any symbolic covering, the massage resumed with a focus on his upper chest. The woman went too far, according to the man, after she, after he claims that without provocation, the woman securely grabbed his penis and testicles. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Aghast at the clutching of his privates, the man told the woman to unhand his genitals. Have you ever used that expression, Mary? Unhand my genitals. Let go of thou genitals, sire. <laughs> yes. No, I've never oh, have. So. Yeah. Uh, you may have said, uh, please, uh, faster, but that's another story <laughs> it's for another harder. time. Uh, yes, it was. It's, it's supposed to be soft like that. Exactly. Uh, it was then the man told authorities that the woman began negotiating sexual favors and asking for more money to continue. Oh, she's got a hold of the genitalia, and now she's going to renegotiate the contract, Barry. Well, can't grabbing for his clothes, the man demanded his money back and threatened to call nine one one. The woman refused, only returning uh, fifty dollars. Uh, attempting to block the man from leaving the business. The man then claimed the woman became physical and even pushed him up against the wall to stop him from pleading. By the way, if you get pushed up against the wall and threatened, that's extra. Uh, but anyway, uh, the uh, deputies were called and they responded to the massage parlor. The woman explained to the authorities that it was the man who asked for additional sex acts and she refused. She's a lady, Barry. She, she states she became so agitated that she gave him back some money just to make him leave. Further investigation discovered that the woman was the instigator. She was arrested and now faces charges of, I like this, unnatural and lascivious uh, sex act and battery. Barry Rose, I have a, I have now the proverbial Paul Harvey rest of the story, Barry. <laughs> While you're speculating as to uh, where this uh, took place, let me tell you what the woman's name was. Her name was Kuendwe Dong. So all throughout the report, it's uh, Mrs. Dong. <laughs> so Barry Rose. You know who would do well with that? The New York Post. Thank you. They, yeah. they would craft a story <laughs> that you could well, read on air. Well, there was good writing in this, you know. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah. But uh, anyway, so uh, Barry Rose, Florida woman or not? Kuwe something Dong. Uh I'm going to say the donger. <laughs> donger. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. More Yankee, my wanky. Yeah. 
All right, come I'm, up with all these different 16 candles lines. Uh, what a wonderful movie, too. I'm going to say this did not take place in the state of Florida. Port Charlotte. Of course it did. Oh, of course <laughs> it did. Really? I mean, did you have any <laughs> doubt whatsoever? I mean, come on, man. At this point. I, Port Who are Charlotte. You? I barely know you. <laughs> I believe, <laughs> I believe that's where Ben and Kelly both live. Or as I was going to call them, Ken and Belly. But well, and you know, Kelly. I'm just going to say that it does m- mention something about the man being a union a member. So. Oh, there you I go. Know, I, I'm just ribbing you, Ben. Calm down. All right. So, uh, 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 let's see. Uh, now here we've got a, a story that I don't want to make uh, too much light of because it does involve uh, some acts of violence. But the headline, oh. Barry, woman tied up her tender date, cut him. And then order DoorDash. First of all, by God, you should be going with Uber Eats, not DoorDash. Uh, uh, Lauren Dooley is being held on various, I, I like to say, various felony charges. After she tied up her tender date in her home, cut him and ordered DoorDash. Oh. The 21-year-old victim managed to escape his crazy date and call the police in time for help. Barry Rose, Florida woman or not. Well, are there any details as to why she tied up this guy or why this guy, a 21 a 21-year-old male, was overtaken by a female and tied up? I, I suspect there might be more to this story. Uh, which I'd wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm just going to go ahead. She was uh, charged with one count of uh, false imprisonment. Uh, let's see. Uh, I don't call for assistance. Police confirm the emergency dispatcher told the officers they were heading to the scene when they were talking to a man. But they could hear a woman in the background. Uh, they said they could hear the male saying he was, quote, bleeding all over the bed and yelling at the woman because you cut me and you're going to kill me. Uh, let's see. Of course, the victim's name redacted. Very excellent. Wow. Redacted. redacted. As they, as they honestly typically do in uh, various battery cases. So a uh, Barry Rose, Florida woman or not. Yeah, I just like the fact that, that she ordered DoorDash while, uh, you know, she was cutting him. Well, that that get, maybe she was going to feed him after uh, cutting him open and stuff, you know. Well, no, she needed to she needed to get her McDonald's fix, you know. She needed the Big Mac and stuff. You know, uh, when you uh, when you cut nuggets. your den, uh, tender gay uh, date and he's bleeding all over the bed, by God, that will make you hungry. That it will make you hungry. I'm going to say that you were very vague about a lot of the comments on this one. Uh, I try to be. Yeah, this one there there are no clues whatsoever where this could have taken place. I have been warned though about dating, online dating in the really? state of Florida. I got it and I'll, I went out to dinner. I currently, obviously I, I'm not online dating. I've been in a relationship, right? But that's good um, to hear. Good. But prior to that, I had, uh, gone out to dinner with somebody that we know extremely well. And I, I said, yeah, I had, and this was just when I was entering into the world of online dating. And they, they said, well, there can be some, uh, some bad stuff there. And they started telling me some of these horror stories of online dating in the state of Florida, including blackmail, theft, et cetera, frighten the shit out of me to the point that I'm okay being single, right? That was like the mm-hmm. first thought in my head. I don't need all this. I'm going to say how fucked up this is. This, this took place in the state of Florida. Colorado Springs. Woo! Colorado, Barry. Yeah. So you're you're uh, not having a good day again. Well, the last story for us today, Barry, taking place uh, courtesy of our friends from the New York Post. Oh, good beacons friends. of journalism. <clears throat> Man writes demand note on the back of his birth certificate while robbing a bank. 
Man robbed the bank using a demand note written on the back of his own birth certificate while he was also wearing an ankle monitor related to an earlier offense. Obviously, this man's a genius, Barry. Uh, Michael Lloyd pled guilty to robbing a Bank of America branch last summer and said he did it, quote, to prove a point to his lover. Though it's unclear what exactly the point was he was trying to make. Entered his plea on uh, bank robbery in federal court. And let's see. For all his trouble, Barry, $754. That's it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, note said, give your money now. Don't say anything. I have a partner outside. Back of his birth certificate, Barry Rose. Where did this take place? This took place in Florida. And th- this also begs the question, why does he go places carrying his birth certificate. Well, you know, he wants to uh, let everyone know. Like, if he goes to a bar, he doesn't have a license, but he's got his birth certificate with him. I don't. Did you ever, when you were a kid, did you ever try to use your birth certificate as a, or a fake birth certificate as, a, as your fake ID? I did not. I did. Apparently, I'm not as smart as this guy. I did, and sometimes it, I was about 14 years old using a doctored birth certificate, and 50% of the time it got me in, the other 50% it did not. But I got to admit, it was maybe the most pathetic looking thing I'd ever seen. 60% of the time, it works all the time, Barry. Barry Rose, this just in, thought we were done, but in fact, we have oh, one. Oh, by right. the way, I did not tell you, uh, the last story you uh, said was Florida? I did, yes. Springfield, Missouri. Shit. I wouldn't have gone there. The last story, yeah, what, Springfield, Missouri, or uh, that's not what you would have guessed? Because yeah, apparently our, our listeners in Springfield, Missouri now are going to be a little upset at your uh, little snarky uh, shot at them. Terry Rose. Say, we, Jeff, we should put this out there. Springfield, Missouri, the home to the late Mike Pappas. There you go, the Golden Greek who we lost recently. Yeah, we it, just for those, we, we lost. No, I'm sorry, the Flying Greek. I'm sorry, not the, the Flying Greek. Right, Golden was uh, Tolis, right? Or is it Jim Londis? Could or have been both. Him yeah, but in any case, we lost Mike Pappas. He was on with us, I'll say, maybe six months ago, maybe even a little sooner than that. And just the sweetest guy, uh, had no idea. And I think it was right after his appearance with us. I believe he was diagnosed with a form of cancer and just had a lot of issues. The nicest guy, we encourage you. Uh, try to find this, you know, we can also post a link, but you want to hear this interview with him. A documentary had been made on his life, 82 years old. So sad. He's no longer with us, Jeff. Yeah. So, and uh, as you said, a good guy, Barry. Yeah. So now back to Florida man or not, boy, that's going to be a smooth transition there. Last Florida man or not story, Barry. Huge boa constrictor. My voice broke there. Huge boa constrictor snake found in carry on luggage. The bizarre yet fascinating menagerie of animals detected by TSA agents on carry-on baggage at U.S. airport carries on into 2023. This time, the discovery was an old standby theme popularized in movies. Snakes on a plane! There are mother effing snakes on this plane. <clears throat> Great Samuel L. Jackson there. Uh, wait, it was one, a four-foot boa constrictor to be exact, and technically it never made it on the plane. Still, it's intriguing. TSA tweeted Friday afternoon the details uh, from an airport. This happened on December 15th, according to Lisa Farbstein of TSA uh, in an Instagram post. Our officers didn't find this. <clears throat> get a load of this, Barry. Hysterical. They actually wrote I that out what, like that. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Coiled up in a passenger 
the passenger's carry-on was a four-foot boa constrictor. We really have no adoration for discovering any pet going through an x-ray machine. The puns and admonishments didn't stop there. Do you have aspirations? Really, I see what you're (laughs) taking. The TSA people—they think they're creative writers. Yes, taking a snake on a plane. Don't get upsetty spaghetti by not understanding. (laughs) First time we ever used the expression upsetty spaghetti. By the way, Barry. And maybe the last two, Jim. <laughs> yes, I, that's true also. By not understanding your airline's rules. For instance, airlines don't allow nope ropes, nope ropes, in carry-on bags, and only a few allow them to slither around in check bags if packaged correctly. Uh-uh. And now Barry Rose continuing. The boa was not the only bother of the animal variety recently. Around Thanksgiving, poor smell this. Poor cat. The cat's name is Smells. Smells the cat. The cat. Wow. It was right. found in a carry-on at JFK in New York. The person on the carry-on said the cat was his, but came from his house. It, I'm sorry, it was not his, but it came from his household. Uh, after the ordeal, the ordeal and the indignity of it, Smells was rewarded with a sumptuous Thanksgiving spread. Uh, let's see. Uh, then another story about people finding a dog uh, stuffed into a carry-on. Really, people, come on. But getting back to the snake story, Barry, Florida man or not? No, this one is not a Florida man. This is a Texas story, Jeff. Tampa International Airport, Damn Barry. Damn it. Well, you know, I'm just going to put it this way. If uh, you go down uh, to uh, the west coast of Florida, I'm going to hope that you don't put no motherfucking snakes on a motherfucking plane, Barry. Barry, it's time for a little rapid fire. Ready for a little rapid fire, Barry? Let's do it. Let's do we it. talk rapid fire. We talk all different kinds of things, sports, movies, television, pop culture, all right. life. So the first one we want to discuss, Barry, on rapid fire. Barry, let's talk about this DeMar Hamlin situation, uh, the uh, Buffalo defensive back that uh, incredibly had, went into cardiac arrest on the field in Cincinnati. Uh, the trainers uh, brought him back to life. The, the guy essentially coded right there on the damn field. Uh, and, uh, gee, go figure, the NFL and their infinite wisdom wanted to uh, give them five minutes to get themselves together before uh, starting the game up. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. The NFL says that never happened. I'm sure, Barry. Sure. Uh, but my uh my comparison that i was making Barry, as i was watching this uh horrific incident take place and the fact that there was a little bit of should the show continue should it not and oh Barry, guess whose name popped into my head could it be vinny mac could this have been an owen hart like situation Barry? is the greed and the uh the the wonderlust of the nfl has it gotten to the vince mcmahon level where they really wanted to fucking continue this game what do you think <laughs> yeah i think the answer God is bless yeah. you thank you i think the answer is absolutely yeah i think i think if you're looking for big business to have some sort of conscience or moral conscience you can hold your breath and you'll turn blue and you'll die uh, it is, I don't think in any form, uh, that the NFL, I think the NFL is looking at the bottom line. They're looking at ratings. They're looking at all that. I think it's everybody else that was able to say, no, we're not going to fucking play. And maybe that was it. I don't really know exactly what took place, but by the same token, 
you know, he had a lot of friends out there as well. That's, you know, watching the Eagles yesterday and watching the amount of players uh, in the Dolphin game and watching the amount of players coming out with uh, DeMar T-shirts or something. I, I think pretty much every game uh, there were right. people wearing his jersey or uh, showing support with his number and stuff like that. Uh, uh, surprisingly, I don't know that uh, Vince would have authorized the Owen Hart shirts to be worn uh, the night after. They did a tribute show, but, uh, yeah, I just uh, – uh, but uh, the other question I uh, wanted to ask uh, Barry was, you know, uh, he apparently does like a toy drive for uh, underprivileged children in the Buffalo area. He had a goal of something like $2,500 to be raised for his charity to uh, give toys to underprivileged kids. And apparently, last time I checked, it was like up to somewhere like $11 million. Wow. Uh, just an insane number. Uh, and uh, somebody I saw on Twitter uh, when they were mentioning how many uh, or how, what uh, the amount was that had been donated to his toy drive, uh, somebody said that they hoped that one of the things that they would do, since now obviously they're way, way past what their uh, initial goal was, was there was a charity, and I, and I wish I had the name of it, uh, that tries to see that every stadium, whether it's NFL, college, high school, peewee football, has resuscitation uh, devices available at the stadium uh, that can be used, which raises the question, Barry, uh, is this not something that should also be uh, at every wrestling event? You'd like to think, but, of course, promoters well-known for their generosity and making sure that the proper medical equipment are available. I'm sure those in the WWE, I'd like to think that AEW, uh, you know, Tony Khan, uh, if nothing else, seems to be a lot more, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? I'm not talking about uh whether he's a good booker or not, but he, he seems to have a lot more uh, of the of the guys in mind when it comes to health situations and stuff like that than uh, than Vince back in the day might have. So, is this something that you think AEW, uh, WWE, New Japan, all the big promotion should they not have this available in every single arena? By God, Barry. It should be the law that, I mean, well, at least in this absolutely can't, can't speak for Japan, but it should be the law that it should be mandatory. I will say, I believe, and, and I, I, I want to remove Vince McMahon, but I believe if the Owen Hart situation occurred in the WWE today, and I'll even go back a year when Vince was in charge, the show would be stopped. And I think a lot of it is the world that we live in. Things are a little bit different, and I think the talent, would have banded together and say, go fuck, go fuck yourself, Vince. We're not going out. Which is essentially what the players from uh, Cincinnati and Buffalo did. There you go. The idea of restarting the game. And uh, correctly, by the way. Correctly, 100%. Because you you have to sit there and think of the guys that were actually in the arena, the Kemper arena that night when Owen died. How do you go on after that? How does Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler go on having seen a guy drop to his death literally six feet in front of him? All right, guys, uh, let's go to the next match. I mean, like, what the hell? Come on. Did you hear the, I mean, did you hear the rest of the calls that night? And I'll give you another good example. The night that Jerry Lawler during Monday Night Raw had a heart attack on live television, Michael Cole was essentially almost a mute the rest of the show. I mean, because he's fucking stunned, right? Yeah, so, of course. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, it's, it's funny, too. We, it, you shared with me a meme and maybe I'll let you talk about that, Jeff, but you shared with me a meme last week and it was from Teddy Long and you said, oh, I'm getting the, to that. Okay. That's, is this the that's my next rapid fire. <laughs> Tone deaf. Okay. Oh, and I'll shut up then. Go for it. Yeah. Barry, shut up. 
Uh, so <laughs> let's talk about a recent post from former referee slash manager Teddy Long regarding Vince McMahon. Uh, let me read this to you here. <clears throat> Whatever, apparently the source for this is uh, the one-on-one podcast. Whatever trouble he's in, I don't know about all that, but professional Uh wrestling is Vince's life. Vince McMahon has done his whole entire life. And look what he's created doing his entire wrestling career. So are you going to take him away from his life? This is what he does. If this is what makes him happy to do for the rest of his life, what he's been doing all his life, then let him do it. He ain't bothering nobody. Oh, okay. That is. Barry, you want to take this one first? (laughs) That is arguably maybe the most tone deaf statement I've read about anything in the history of everything. So I, I, I don't want, I don't know to where to even attack it. It is like saying to me, Adolf Hitler's a good guy because all he knows is killing people and doing this other shit. He has made Teddy Long is essentially in some ways victimized, re-victimized everybody that Vince McMahon has ever victimized by that statement. It is very similar to Ric Flair. Kevin Orcutt, who we mention almost weekly at this point, Kevin sent me something about Ric Flair this week where he's advocating for Vince McMahon to come back. And it was very – Gee, I can't imagine Rick would have a financial stake in that. And there you go. And that's Teddy Long, the same thing. Teddy Teddy always protecting where that next paycheck will be coming from. He knows if he comes out and says something, but he's not. He's, he's trying to – whatever he can to ingratiate himself. That possibly – and I hope somebody can share this with Teddy in some form. That comment that he made might be the most ignorant, stupid comment I have ever heard, and I believe it is an out-and-out lie because I don't think you can say that and honestly believe that from the bottom of your heart. I don't see it. There is so much on Vince McMahon that is public knowledge. Then there are the quote-unquote rumors, and then just imagine what Teddy Long knows about in his head. So honestly, it sickens me to hear that. You know, uh, as you were talking, uh, when you first started and you were talking about, uh, the Hitler thing, it reminded me of, I think a better comparison might be, uh, the story that Marge shot when she owned the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, this was, I think, uh, early 1990s reportedly said, well, you know, people always talk bad about Hitler, but at least the trains ran on time. Wow. Did she really? Yeah. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, uh, the, the old, oh uh, saying, yeah, you, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know. L- Luke, join us. Did Mark shot not say that, my man? Wow. I think she said something similar that, well, in, in addition to the Nazi, uh, regalia, memorabilia, she, right. uh, that I collected. Know. Yeah, she said in an interview something along the lines of, uh, I don't know, not like Hitler meant well, but like there were some good things Hitler did. Yeah. You know, and that, you know, uh, other than the Holocaust, Mrs. Lincoln. uh, (laughs) How was the play? play, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it calls to mind, Barry, the old, uh, what's the old quote? Uh, Read the room, Uh, you know, and Teddy. Teddy, read the fucking room because uh, uh, just uh, 
having Vince McMahon as the victim in this scenario is really, really pretty fucking laughable. So, uh, so now saying that, Barry, uh, I'm gonna, I wanna talk about something here in rapid fire, uh, that we normally don't talk about. And I'll be honest with uh, everyone here. Uh, and that is, uh, Barry and I talked about whether or not we even wanted to discuss this particular story. But I think it's worth talking about because it's been something that's been in the news. Uh, the guy, and uh, for the life of me, I did not write down his name. The U.S. men's national team a soccer coach was uh, recently uh, kind of uh, put out there in the news uh, for an incident that reportedly happened, I want to say, 32 years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of... Uh, do the Reader's Digest version on this story here, just so we don't take uh, six hours talking about it. Essentially, what happened is the uh, the gentleman in question was uh, reported to have kicked a woman 32 years ago. OK, now I will say that based on what I've read about the story uh, and uh, currently, I don't know if he's been suspended or stepped away from his duties as coach of the the men's soccer team. Uh, but um, the incident in question uh, involved the woman that a few years after that had become, uh, ended up becoming his wife. Uh, there have been, as far as I can tell, no additional, uh, stories of that type. And the man is now having this incident dredge back up on him. I will say that what I thought was sort of interesting was one of the members of the team is the son of, uh, I'm sorry, Barry, Barry Lude pointing out the gentleman's name is Greg Burhalter. Thank you, Lou. I appreciate that, buddy. Uh, so anyway, the, uh, one of the members of the team is the son of Claudio Reina, who was kind of a big deal in men's soccer in this country for many years. And apparently Claudio Reina's son, don't know his first name, uh, Lou, if you find it, uh, just send it out and I'll, uh, I'll mention his name. Apparently the, uh, the young, uh, youngster on the team, a youngster, he's probably in his twenties, uh, <laughs> a youngster right? has, has not been getting uh, enough playing time, at least according to Claudio's mother, which would make him this young man's grandmother. So the grandmother who's unhappy about her grandson's playing time goes to the press with this incident from 32 years ago. Okay. Uh, and again, I will mention, I have absolutely, uh, it, you know, if you fucking hit a woman, you're fucking despicable. Geo Rania. Thank you, Lou is the uh, name of the, uh, the current player. Uh, it's despicable if you hit a woman. Okay. Let me put that out there. But in this case, uh, Mr. Burhalter kicked this woman a couple years go by. She marries him. And they are still married to this day. If the story had included, and I mentioned this to Barry, that this woman ended up not marrying him, now the Rainia story comes out or the, the Burhalter story comes out. And if the, uh, the wife had come out, you know, the, or the woman that he had dated came out and said, Oh yeah, no, the, I didn't marry him. And the reason I didn't marry him is because essentially he, uh, he beat my ass a couple other times. So I said, fuck this guy. I don't want to marry him and never married him. Then. I would understand that this guy absolutely they should have this story come out and fuck him, you know, just right where he deserves to get fucked. Now, let's compare this to the other recent story that I wanted to reference, and that is the allegations against Chris Beard, who was the men's basketball coach at Texas, who was arrested on felony battery on his wife. Chris Beard uh apparently was terminated by the University of Texas, good for them, 
for uh, whooping up on his wife. Uh, I don't mean to put it in such, uh, you know, uh, frivolous terms like that, but, you know, for beating up his wife. And apparently, based on reports I've read, may not have been the only time that something like this happened. So Barry Rose, using those two stories, is what's happening to Burhalter? Is it fair or should we still hold him accountable for this incident from 32 years ago? This and again, before he answers, <laughs> nobody here is in favor of anyone striking a woman. This is strictly a discussion point. It, it is a discussion point, and I think we we clearly, before uh, somebody calls us out, you know, within the first hour of this episode dropping, we are. I'll speak for myself, but I don't think Jeff or Lou are far behind me. We don't advocate violence towards anybody especially women and children or animals, my God. But at the same time, we don't advocate violence towards anyone. Uh, with that, I, there is more to this story we would have to know, and there's more that we would have to. Am I a big fan of cancel culture? No. If somebody beats a woman, should they be canceled? Yeah. I, I would say that's probably as good a reason as any if you were going to cancel somebody because beating a woman, beating a child, torturing an animal, doing anything, you're, there, there's a psychopathic tendency there if you're doing it. So that I agree with. But before we either condemn or praise him, and I don't know, praise isn't the right word, before we give him the pass that, yes, we should leave. The benefit of the doubt. How about that? That's excellent. Thank you. Uh, thank you for the lifeline. It, there's more that we would need to know on this story. They, this happened 32 years ago. How old was he? You know, was this a dumb mistake? Did he go to counseling? Was alcohol and or drugs involved? What other factors might have contributed? If this is a one-off, I think we need to understand why it only happened once. And then obviously this is not somebody that this is a repetitive action for. So I, I, I don't want to give him a free pass or the benefit of the doubt, as you said, which again, excellent phrase, but I also don't want to condemn him until I know all the facts. Again, he, he, in my opinion, if something happened third, I made mistakes. I never hit a woman. But I've certainly made mistakes in my life that may have happened 30 years ago, maybe when I was 18 or 20 years old. Should I be held accountable? Now, the severity of the mistakes. What if I had killed somebody, Jeff? What if I had gotten – let me ask you. This is a hypothetical. What if I was a rowdy fucking kid? I got drunk, got behind the wheel of a car and killed somebody, served my time in jail – during that period, underwent extensive counseling and therapy, left jail, early release, on probation. There's no other spots of any kind on my record. Do you do you give me a job? Or because I've committed a felony, and in many states, it's hard to get a job, at least a decent job. You know, you can possibly go work at a, a Waffle House, as we mentioned earlier, but... You know, what if I wanted to work in a different sector or field? I wouldn't be allowed because of that. What happens in that case? Am I the same person I was 32 years ago if I haven't done anything since? So I know it's a non-answer in a lot of ways. Because it's so sensitive, I could easily say yes or no to it, right? But No, and, and I'll be honest with you. Uh, sure. Bringing this up and discussing this is, yeah. is no no this is not like 
I'm in favor of this guy. Uh, no, no I, I, the biggest problem that I have with the, uh, the other story involving the men's national team coach is not whether he should or not, uh, be held accountable for what he did. It, it very well, maybe he could be. My problem with this is that this story was brought to light to members of the media by a woman who appeared, and I'm just going to say appeared based on what I've read, to be a little bit upset that her grandson was not getting more playing time. But that and was if, it, Jeff. That, that, that was it. Case, that, that's just completely ridiculous, you know. Yeah, she's, uh, she's looking. She's she's out for revenge yeah. and pulls up something from his past. Absolutely. So that is that's a huge issue and huge red flag right there. Yeah, and now let me also say, if it comes to light that this guy has done this more than once, uh, you know, and that this woman, because let's be honest, Barry, we know that there are women and men who stay in abusive relationships, whether it's yes. physical, emotional, whatever. And maybe this woman is in a relationship with her. She's still with him and she's involved in a, uh, let's just say abusive without clarifying what type of abuse. And it's an abusive relationship. Then if it's something that's still ongoing or something that he did to her, that was kind of swept under the rug, that kind of thing. Absolutely. He should fucking lose his job and he should face the full, you know, wrath of whatever's coming to him, you know, uh, much like the, the Joker at the University of Texas who was fired from his job for, for the felony battery on his wife and deservedly so. But, uh, you know, if, if this is just a, you know, a one time he kicked her and, you know, again, he, reportedly kicked her what what does this mean does this mean they were having an argument at a restaurant he kicked her underneath the table and she said ouch right or was this he kicked her you know bruiser brody style uh you know and uh you know put her in the hospital or something we don't know the degree maybe that's on me for not knowing more about the story i don't know but i'm just saying uh, i'd like to know more before the attempt to cancel this coach from the u.s men's uh, national soccer team uh then uh you know I'd like to know more intel before the attempts to cancel him uh, that are being apparently started by this guy's uh, grandmother. Uh, you know, I, so let me I, ask you a question, Jeff. Why don't we take this in a different direction? Dana White, over the past week, week and a half, uh, there is a video out there of him striking his wife. Now, let's put it into context of what we understand. Uh, according to the video, and obviously Dana White has been uh, the guy running the UFC for some 20 years at this point. But uh, apparently she very heatedly says something to him. He says something to her. She slaps him and he slaps her back. Now, I will tell you, I was on a wrestling message board. And, of course, somebody points out that, uh, that well, you know, she did hit him first. However, it, I think what bothers, first off, never blame the victim, but I think what also bothers me about it is that there are two things that bother, well, many things, but two that I'll point out. One is the, re, the reaction when he slaps her, it clearly looks like this, based off of the ease of which he did it and no hesitation, that this may have occurred previously. Because he just, it was a natural reflex form. The second is Dana White, and this is where I'm going to go on some sort of a rant shortly thereafter. Dana White went on record 
uh, several years ago, and I'm going to see if I can pull this up as we're talking, basically saying that domestic violence has no place in the UFC and that it will not be tolerated. Domestic violence, UFC, Dana White. Let's see if I can find it. If not, Sweet Lou will find it for us. All right. So end result, I can't find it, but apparently Dana White's mother has called. So apparently he made this statement in 2011. In 2011, it basically said that UFC will never tolerate, nor is it a home for people that are uh, domestic uh, abusers in any form. They will. This is not where they can be working. There is video of Dana White slapping his wife. And of course, Dana White, as of this date, and I believe this was right around New Year's Eve, is still employed, meaning his words were meaningless, hard to believe, of course. I, I take great offense to it. I'm not a Dana White fan. So I certainly I'm already biased. I don't love the guy, but I saw the video. I've heard what he said. I also know that, uh, he has exploited many UFC fighters, not paid them a fair wage. And I'm just not a fan of the guy. So I'm already biased against him. But at the same time, Dana White's employers have an obligation every single individual that has ever watched UFC or shown any interest. And they have an obligation to come out and to make a public statement, whether you want to back Dana White, hug him and say, oh, great job in slapping your wife, or you want to condemn him. I'm not aware of them making any sort of statement. Hopefully I'm wrong, Lou, and maybe Lou will be able to check. Hopefully I'm wrong and they have said something. The end result is, it's fucking bullshit because Dana White went on record 11, 12 years ago, basically saying if there's any sort of abuse here, we will not tolerate it. I can guarantee you, Jeff, that if that was a UFC fighter, and I'm not talking about a headliner that might be drawing millions of dollars, but if that was a mid-card or low-level UFC fighter that was caught on video slapping a wife, regardless of the circumstances, they would have cut him and they would have released him. They have given Dana White a pass. A hundred percent have given him a pass in this situation. That bothers me a lot. Lou, uh, Lou with a uh, link to a, uh, I don't know if it's a story or a video there, Barry. Uh, you know, first of all, it's, it's not okay to hit a woman. It's not okay for a woman to hit a man. Like, like why do people feel the need to just, uh, you know, strike without consequence to whoever? And, you know, I, I'm proud to say I have never struck a woman. I, you know, I, I would not do that. Uh, and, it's reprehensible to me. Uh, I don't uh, like the fact that his his wife struck him, but you're absolutely right. Let's not blame the victim. You know, uh, he uh, you know, he struck her back. Uh, you know, w- there are those that may say, oh, this was mutual combat or, you know, mutual striking. It, whoever did it, whatever the reason, it's wrong. But Dana White, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Oh, we will not tolerate this in the UFC. Uh, you know, like do do as I uh I say, not as I do. That's what uh, comes to mind there, Barry. Uh, that uh, but it's a serious subject too. It's not of like, course. It's no, not like I... don't don't feed the gremlins after like midnight or some shit. Sure, no, no. This absolutely. is about domestic violence. Which how many times have we seen a death occur with domestic? Now I'm not saying Dana White. I don't believe, and I don't even think that. 
But at the same time, the seriousness of the situation needs, he needs to be held accountable. He has gone on record, uh, the link, Lou did send us a link. I went in and I, and he basically said UFC will never support domestic violence, et cetera. However, Dana White's mother, seems to have a completely different opinion. Now, she may be like the soccer player's grandmother with a, a grudge to hold. Maybe more has to be done. With that, I've seen the video of Dana White slapping his wife. It didn't occur 32 years ago. It occurred maybe, you know, 10 days ago, give or take. I believe Dana White would do the right thing, and I think he should do the right thing and step down from his position. He should make himself, without his bosses, and of course his bosses would be behind that, he should make himself the example in this situation. Well, well first of all, let, right let, me, let me just ask you, what sure. is exactly Dana White's position in the company? Is he like just the president or is he the CEO? Is there a board of directors? I don't know. That's why I'm asking. And I don't. I just know he's the head honcho, and he's not the owner, but he's the guy that's been running it for 20 to 30 years through different owners as well. So I don't know, but I know how important he is to it. He's also the face of UFC, sure. and I would want to think that the owners of the company would say, you know what, I I want to, you know, if this wasn't caught on camera, but it is, but uh, I'm sorry, we we just can't do this. We sell violence. Think about it. UFC is yeah. all they do. They're selling violence to the American public. Now the guy in charge, there's a video of him slapping his wife. And UFC, by the way, you are uh, fucking I'm sure, tone deaf. I'm sure you also know, Barry, that uh, I believe it was TBS uh, went and canceled uh, Dana White's show that involved slap. Oh, I didn't know that, did they? Yes. Oh, absolutely. wow. <laughs> I'm I sure that was idea. a huge coincidence. Yeah. So, uh, Anyway, uh, just to end this particular segment, we went way longer than we usually do on rapid fire, uh, which is why we call it rapid fire as opposed to a uh, long, drawn out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was listening to another podcast uh, the other what? day. Uh, it was a hockey podcast. Scary. Okay. And I heard a story that made me uh, sort of think back on a story that you and I had talked about on this very podcast. So uh, I'm going to tell you the story that I heard, and then, Barry, you tell me. Which two people this story reminded me of, okay? Okay. So I'm listening to a Florida Panama, you know, NHL Florida Panthers fan. <clears throat> and uh, the uh, two of the guys that host this, the show on the the Panthers podcast were talking to Alexander Barkov, who is uh, the Panthers team captain. He's been in, uh, an all-star before. Uh, he's pretty much the face of hockey down in South Florida, and he's a tremendous player, by the way. Uh, but – when uh, he's been with the team uh, like 10 years now, something like that, when Alexander Barkov first came uh, into the NHL as like an 18, 19-year-old kid, something like that. I think he's like 27, 28 now. He played uh, on the same line with an NHL legend, Yarmir Yager, who for so many years was with Mario Lemieux and the Pittsburgh Penguins oh, yeah. and all this kind of stuff, and, and a guy that uh, is just a legendary figure. Matter of fact, I just read like over the weekend that he apparently is playing in some league in his uh, home country of Czechoslovakia, and he's like 50 years old, and he's still out there playing. So the host says, you know, uh, every time we have you on, we know you have all these different uh, Yarmir Yager stories. Can you think of a, a story you haven't told us yet about Yager? So uh, Alexander Barkov, who's from Finland, uh, was thinking about it for a second. He goes, oh, yeah, he's as a uh, – I remember this one time, uh, you know, uh, this was uh, going back, I, I guess he would have been about 19 or 20 Barkov uh, at the time. He says, uh, 
were out, uh, you know, practicing and stuff like that. And one of the, the messages that Yager always, uh, you know, put into Barkov's head is that, you know, you have to train and, and practice for what you want to become. So if you want to become the best, you have to train like you want to become the best. And so he says, I'm out there on the ice <clears throat> with a couple of guys and we're practicing, uh, uh, you know, at the rink and here comes Barkov and Barkov looks like he just woke up from a nap. His hair and Barkov's, uh, I'm sorry, Yager's hair is famous. Uh, you know, he's got the, uh, the long flowing hair and his hair looks like he just got up from an afternoon nap. It's going all kind of different ways. And, you know, he says, uh, Yager comes up to him and says, look, whatever you do tonight, don't, don't pass me the puck because I'm not ready for you to pass me the puck. So just, just stay away from me tonight. He says, okay. So he says, uh, Day goes on. They, they come to the arena for the game that night. He says, uh, he's sitting there getting ready and into the locker room comes Yager and Yager has got his hair and his hair is perfect and he's dressed real nice. And he says, Yager walks up to him and says, it's okay, kid. You can pass me the puck tonight. So I heard the story. I started laughing. Barry Rose, what story did I immediately think of that we've talked about here on this show? Oh. I don't, I'm drawing a blank, to be honest with you. Think back to the New Orleans Superdome, Barry Rose. Ric Flair. Oh, and yeah. Terry Rick Taylor. Perry, Terry Taylor. Yes. yes. You're right. You're right. Give me a cup of coffee, kid. I'm a little yeah. slow on that one. Yeah, you're Give right. Give me a that cup of coffee. Work. I'm in the main event in 10 minutes, and Ric Flair's telling me to get him a cup of coffee. And Ric Flair goes out and works a, like a 60 minute match with, uh, with Terry Taylor. And it's that's what match. I thought of. When, <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's a great match. It was my top 100. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's the story that I thought of when I heard this, uh, story of Yarmir Yager and Alexander Barkov. Barry, it is time for the match of the week. We are going to June 8th, 2001, uh, to Japan. Now I want to tell you, Barry, I feel horrible about one thing. Somebody, sent me this match and said, hey, this is a great idea for a match of the week. I can't remember who it was. So uh, for you out there that recommended this match between Jinichiro Tenru and Kijimuto, I apologize. Uh, and that's on me. If you want to come out there and say, hey, you stupid ass, it was me, feel free to do that. Uh, you know. But uh, so, Barry, this is our match of the week. Little backstory on this, uh, as I did a little, uh, investigatory, uh, research on this match, as I'm known to do occasionally. That's true. Uh, Barry, so according to the website TGR Wrestling, this match between Mudo and Tenru, one of the interesting things about it was, you know, this was after the death of Giant Baba and, uh, Giant Baba, Upon reflection, did so much to hold his promotion together with so much. There was a lot of turmoil that happened uh, after his death with his wife, Motoko, uh, who, you know, took over the promotion, but apparently was sort of the, uh, the good cop, bad cop. She was the bad cop and nobody wanted to deal with Motoko ba uh, Baba. And so uh, one of the people that she ended up bringing back to the company of All Japan Wrestling was Jinichiro Tenru. Now, just a little College of Wrestling knowledge, Jinichiro Tenru had been tag team partners with Jumbo Saruta, uh back in the 80s. Uh, then there was a, uh, you know, a, 
Uh, Ricky Choshu and his group jumped back to New Japan Wrestling. Uh, we've discussed all this before, Barry. It's just a little uh, recap sure. here. And then what happened was they split up the team of Saruta and Tenru uh, and made them uh, opponents in a feud that lasted, I want to say, two, maybe two and a half years. Great feud. A couple of great matches, one of which was in my top 100. I believe we've reviewed uh, that match from June of, uh, I want to say, 89. Uh, that was a tremendous match that uh, that we uh, enjoyed. But what happened was, at some point, Tenru left the company, received a big money offer from a, uh, a company. God, I want to let me see if I can find the name of the company was it here. War? No, I said that before, and I was incorrect. The company oh, okay. was called Super World of Sports SWS. SWS. That's right. And uh, I think they might have been owned by like uh, an eyeglass manufacturer or something like that. It was a, a company that had a lot of money. And they extended a big offer to Tenru. Tenru brought some of the guys from All Japan with them. Uh, there might have been one or two guys from New Japan or some other smaller companies that started this company. And uh, the company, of course, naturally uh, fell on its face and failed. But the reason I bring this up is Baba was so upset that Tenru had left the company that he vowed that as long as he was alive, Tenru would never step foot in the All Japan rings. Well... Giant Baba dies. The company is struggling, and uh, Mrs. Baba reaches out to Tenru. Uh, now their husband has passed away. Ask him to come back and to uh, come in with the company, main event for the company, because uh, I guess this must have been after the exodus of Masawa and Kobashi and uh, some of the other guys that uh, went to form uh, pro wrestling Noah. So... Uh, Tenru is sort of the face of the company now, and they book a match with he and Kijimudo, not the great Muda. He was not in character. He was just Kijimudo here for this match from June of 2001. Barry Rose, tell us what you thought of this match. So let me ask you, before I tell you that, let me ask you one. No, you don't get to ask me a question. I want your fucking answer now. Okay, go ahead. Okay, so it's a, and it's, it's a, it's a question that you probably won't be able to answer in 30 seconds. Had Baba, let's say Baba was alive, but very ill to the point that he's taken out of day-to-day operations. So he's not dead. What would Baba have thought about Mrs. Baba bringing back Tenru? And I, I only say it because Baba is, you can count on one hand, the amount of promoters that actually had principle and Baba was one of those. How would Baba have felt? Would he have he admired the fact that she's doing whatever she can to save the promotion? Or would he have been upset that she was going against his wishes? First of all, the idea of a, pro- of a promoter or the uh, person that owned the promotion being taken out of control of the promotion and then somehow coming back and taking over control of the promotion, that never happens, Barry. Oh, never. Did you see what I did there? <clears throat> anyway. Uh, to answer your question, I do not think, uh, first of all, that Mrs. Baba would have ever done that while he was alive. Knowing what I have been told about Baba and what I know, I think he would have absolutely hated the idea because, as you said, he was a man of principle. This is what he said, and he's not going back on it, you know, because uh, – and, and honestly, I think maybe Tenru knew that. You know, this is uh, – you know, I crossed that bridge, and I burned it after I walked over it. And now, now that Baba's dead, I have the opportunity to, uh, have a new bridge and cross that stream and come back to the rings of all Japan, which is why he did that. 
But uh, no, I don't think uh, I don't think Baba would have been happy. And uh, more to the point, I don't think Mrs. Baba would have done that while he was still alive. Yeah, and that's kind of, I don't think, you know, for me it was obviously Baba was in control, but I go through, okay, if he's in a coma and she's, you know, the executor of the will. And he crosses the international date line. Yeah, there are lots of what There's ifs. There's lots and, of variables. Yeah, There's so lots what? of variables. And uh, and the truth is, I don't know how much about Mrs. Baba is conjecture versus reality. Uh, I would have we could to ask Mike Lano. Yeah, well, sure, he would know. <laughs> but I'd have to assume with the amount of people that actually left – you know, it wasn't one or two. Essentially, almost everybody left. So I, I'd have to assume there was something to her behavior. Getting back to the match, it's a it's a good match. Look, you've got Tenru who could still go at this stage. Mudo, uh, even without the gimmicks, he's in great shape here. This is a really solid match. And Jeff, I'll always go back to the fact that in Florida, we were able to see both of these guys before they ever hit anything on a national stage. Mudo, uh, obviously, the easier of the two, 1986, came into CWF as, uh, what was he, the White? The White Ninja. The White Ninja, what a horrible name. And the first time I ever saw him as the Great Muda, I was like, holy shit, it's the White Ninja, right? But he was so good, great heel, could have been a solid baby face given the chance in this country. But it, you could see the greatness even here, 1986 with Kendo Nagasaki. And, you know, you could just see that this guy actually had something. Tenru was different. Tenru was a guy that came in uh in 1977. And off and on for about a year, spent time in Florida working prelims, also worked under a hood as the rising sun. And I will tell you, I didn't see the greatness in Tenru at that stage. With that, Tenru was also positioned as essentially a prelim guy to do the job. Mudo got a bit of a push. I think he was even Florida champion at one point. Uh, trading it with Kendall Wyndham. So the prestige on the title, not yeah, that, was that was in the 70s. That was his cross to bear. He had to work with Kendall at that point. <laughs> it, it was, but, you know, look, it, it's who did we have? We were lucky to have him, but uh, Tenru never got it. Tenru, as rumor also has it, and I'll share this. This is a rumor. I know this not to be fact, actually impregnated uh, a woman while in Florida and actually had a child. Uh, I I also heard he had not been the greatest dad. So, uh, I, you know, again, I don't know, but it just I, struck me years later. Wait, when wait I a minute, a professional like, wrestler that wasn't a good dad? Right, right. Well, what are the odds of that, Bear? It is. It, the odds are actually astronomical. <laughs> but, but with it, I didn't want to disparage him. But I think I was really fascinated because we do hear – uh, of, you know, look, I, it, Ron Starr, the late Ron Starr, former world's junior heavyweight champion, apparently had a child with, uh, Vivian St. John, who was a fan in Miami for years before she got into wrestling and they had a child together. And when I heard Tenru, it, you know, I, I had, I don't know if it was a, a rat or it was a girlfriend, but had gotten somebody pregnant and then just bailed. I, I went back to Japan. I don't know another territory, but I was kind of fascinated by that. That that same child would now probably be easily in their forties. So that's another thing to uh, to really think about. But it, end result. I never saw the greatness in Tenru when he worked Florida. I did see it when Muda was here. Jeff, I'll let you take the match. I, I thought it was a great match, but I really don't have much else to add to it. So a couple things. The matches for the uh, the Triple Crown in All Japan Wrestling, 
Uh, Muto had, of course, been for years associated with New Japan Wrestling. He left New Japan Wrestling because of some dissatisfaction with Antonio Inoki. Uh, he was not the only one who was dissatisfied with Antonio Inoki, not wanting to give up his spot. Uh, Muto was part of a trio. I believe they were called like the Three Musketeers, essentially, of yes. Shinya Hashimoto, Masachono, and Muto. And so Muto left, became sort of a uh, free agent, if you will, uh, gets the invite to come here in June of 2001 to wrestle Tenru for the Triple Crown. One of the things I really liked about this match, and by the way, this match in 2001, Barry, voted the match of the year in wow. the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. Yes, uh, Melcher giving it four and a half stars, but it still won the match of the year. What I liked about this match as much as anything is the psychology of the two wrestlers, because I want to say at this point, Tenru probably would have been in his maybe late 40s, mid to late 40s. So uh, whereas Mudo was in his prime in a lot of ways, there are some similarities. I, and I'm not talking about the, the matches themselves, but I'm talking about the way that they were booked, the way that like Flair and Shawn Michaels were booked, you know, like. Uh, uh, Flair was the veteran kind of holding on. Shawn Michaels was the guy in his prime. And I don't think that, uh, Tenru was that far, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't close to the end of his career like Flair was, uh, during the famous WrestleMania match. But there was a lot of similarities in the storyline. The older established veteran, the young guy in his prime. And let's see if the older established vet can hold him off. It's like a story as old as time, Bear. Uh, and so, um, there's a lot of stuff that, it's really interesting to watch Mudo. Mudo doing like drop kicks, but he does drop kicks to like Tenru's knees. He goes to yeah. take Tenru's knees out, and that's really cool. Uh, there is a lot of really good storytelling. Uh, you know, like if you, if you like the type of matches that involve a story being told, this is a match to watch because there is the, that very definite story of Tenru trying to hold on with everything he's got, uh, to the title. However, I will tell you that at the 23-24 match, uh, moment in the match, uh, and the clip that we have that's available to us, uh, I want to say goes like 20 or 21 minutes. So there's like maybe two or three minutes that are edited out of the version that we'll post in our group later. But in this match, in fact, Kijimuto does in fact become the new Triple Crown champion of aid, uh, of All Japan Wrestling. And you know, you think about it, Barry, we talked about uh, the death of Giant Baba. This this cross promotional stuff. While Baba was alive, just you know, it was not something that he was in favor of. You know, yes, they did a couple of shows where they would have like one of their matches. You know, like you know, their guys would be on like a super card at the dome, and they'd send over one match or something like that. But you know, uh, Baba was very much let's keep our group. Uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of what the word is. He he wanted his guys to face his guys and didn't want to bring in outside talent. So to the average All Japan fan, seeing Kiji Muto wrestling in All Japan rings had to be like, oh, holy shit, you know. And it's like the equivalent of like uh, uh, a WWE guy showing up in the rings of AEW or, you know, like when uh, Cody Rhodes left AEW and went up to the WWE and, you know, fans are like, oh, wow, Cody Rhodes, he was just on AEW a couple weeks ago, you know, that kind of thing. And so to the average fan, it might have been a, a really cool storyline having guys wrestling outside of the promotion that they were most you know, mostly known for. So this match, as I said, the Wrestling Observer 2001 match of the year, uh, Kijimuto versus uh, Jinichiro Tenru. 
I really enjoyed the match. I really enjoyed the storytelling and the story that went into this match. We will post a link to it in our Facebook group, Breaking Kayfabe with Bowdrin and Barry, and hopefully you'll check it out. All right, Barry, about ready to turn the corner, head for home. Are you about ready to do the old go home, my man? This was a uh, an action-packed episode and uh, some controversy with this one, some great opinions. And actually, we did have a lot of fun also. So, yeah, good episode. So before we go, we do want to mention one particular thing. I'm going to let Barry take the lead on this, and that is involving our friend, our brother, Bruce Cohen, who's going through some, uh, through some health situations. Barry, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about Bruce? Yeah, yeah. And look, it, it, there, there's not a lot that I can share, but Bruce wanted to convey uh, to the brother shippers that uh, he is facing some health issues. The good news, Jeff? Looks like everything's going to be okay, so we certainly don't want to alarm or upset anybody. Uh, but Bruce had some health issues. Uh, it appears that he is – these are being taken care of. He's under a physician's care currently. And we and, will let Bruce reveal more on the board. Correct. And that that's really the key. We don't want to give away too much. But a couple people reached out and were like, what's going on with Bruce? And it, it's not up to Jeff and myself. This is something that Bruce should talk about at the same time. Uh, we got some good news about Bruce today, so we're feeling positive. But end result, we love Bruce, and that's really what we're doing. We want you guys to know Bruce is doing well, and we want Bruce to know how much we we truly care about him, Jeff. Absolutely. So uh, on that note, I will remind you that Breaking Gay Fable, Bowdrin and Barry is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Even though I said that earlier in the show, Barry, I'll say it again. So on behalf of my uh, co-host, Barry Rose, I will remind you that Gunny – I love you, buddy, and I'll see you in the morning. I have not forgotten you. Don't worry, and I never will. I am the booker, Jeff Bowdrin, and for our producer, Sweet Lou Kippelman, getting those technical issues resolved out in the city by the bay. Take it off, Louis. <laughs> <laughs>